what did this life mean at the end of it? That's really special because it can be both, you know, challenging and, and really empowering because it provides meaning of life, right? Like this life that I am living can and should have meaning and it can create this unnecessary pressure of, oh, does my life mean enough? Hello and welcome to Pave Your Own Path, where I get a chance to speak with driven individuals from various walks of life to better understand the challenges they face to achieve success. This podcast is intended to inspire others to follow their own passions and to help understand the value that you already bring every day. So let's get started. Hello, beautiful people. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mary-Kate Hurlbut, also known as MK. MK graduated from Stanford University with a degree in history and a master's in communication. She's been working with SoulCycle for over five years and is now a co-founder in a company called Chorus Meditation, which we will dive into a little bit later. MK, I want to thank you for being a part of this show. How are we doing today? Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. I am doing pretty well. As I mentioned to you earlier, I am in a closet recording this right now. Um, The best acoustics ever for any type of podcast recording, always in the closet. Um, I'm in California, and you might have heard on the news that California is once again on fire. So we've got a lot of smoke in the air uh, that's affecting like lungs and eyes and all that good stuff. But we've been here before, and the people of California are resilient and make our way through every time. Yeah. And what part of California are you in right now? Um, Right now I'm in Lake Tahoe. So we've got, there's a fire like right above Reno that's kind of being pushed into the basin. And so you can't even really see out into the lake or across the lake or any of the mountains or anything right now. So just sending a lot of good thoughts and gratitude to everyone on the front line fighting the fires and all the people who are affected by them. I love that. And uh, is this around the area of where you grew up? It is not. Um. Tahoe is a very special place to me, though. I, during school, while I was in college, worked at Stanford Sierra Camp for two summers. So the summers in between my freshman and sophomore year, and then again, between my sophomore and junior year. And it's a camp for Stanford alumni and their families at Fallen Leaf Lake, which is in South Lake Tahoe, sort of above the Angora Ridge in this other little basin. And it is um, a camp where alumni can bring their families and stay for one week at a time. And it was probably the greatest job I'll ever have in my entire life because somebody paid me to live on a lake with all my best friends. Uh, the camp is totally run and staffed by students. Uh, there's like, there's, there are proper adults there as well, taking care of everything, but we were the counselors and the chefs and the cleaning staff and everything. And, uh, that was just like a really formative time in my life. And I fell so deeply in love with Tahoe during that time and came back here like every summer and winter since. And this is where Jarrett and I, my husband got married in November up up at Sierra camp in Fallen Leaf Lake. So it's just one of those places that has my heart always. Yeah. Very nice. And uh, congratulations, of course. Uh, We will talk about that a little bit later, but (laughs) I want to make sure we're going in a nice chronological order. So starting off with your childhood, can you tell everybody uh, give us a better understanding of who, what it was like growing up as MK? Yeah. So I am California born and bred. I always say that I Goldilocks California because I was born in central California. And then we moved to Southern California um, 
when I was like nine, 10 years old. And then I went up to Northern California for school when I was 18. And so I love California and it's deep in my heart. I think the most appropriate way to give my background and childhood and what it was like growing up MK is just to set um, some context for our conversation today by really just identifying the privilege with which I exist in this world. Um, because when I'm thinking about paving my own path and everything I've been able to do in terms of self-actualization, uh, it's because I've had so many other of my needs met and that is a result of my privilege. So I think it's important to identify that at the beginning of the conversation. So yeah. I am white, I am heterosexual, I am cisgender, I'm able-bodied. I grew up with an incredible loving family that provided safety and security and belonging. I'm one of five kids and I'm the fourth youngest and I love my siblings. They are built-in best friends. Um, my parents are really incredible individuals who came together in a really respectful and supportive and loving partnership that I've always been the beneficiary of. Um, my dad worked really hard. He recently retired uh, after like 45 years working at the same company and was able to put us all through you know, school and graduate debt-free, which is another privilege I have, especially in this country right now for people of my age, other millennials out there. Um, and my mom stayed home and, and put in all of that labor to raise five children and really care for us. Um, so I just want to set that really important context for folks when I'm talking about my story, because so much of what I've been able to do in this life is a result of having like so many of those um, basic needs met for anyone who's familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I, I started like higher up than a lot of folks who live specifically in the United States and um, have less privilege due to the color of their skin, their socioeconomic background, um, their sexuality, their gender, all of those things. But for me growing up, I was really fortunate to have such an incredible home life where I came out the womb just pretty much 100% myself and loud and with an opinion and with uh, a lot of creative imaginative spirit that was always fostered and always appreciated and celebrated. Um, my younger brother, who's three and a half years younger than I am, we always used to joke about how like growing up in our household with our older siblings and with each other, it was, it was an education in and of itself because at dinner every night, also really lucky enough to have like dinner with my family every night, you know, my oldest sister would be talking about what she learned in her AP US history class. And my little brother and I would be sitting there listening and interjecting with jokes, but like also absorbing it as young kids. So yeah. really lucky to just sort of grow up in this circus of love and support and fun and friendship. 
And uh, that was reflected a lot in my personality as a child growing up. Um, I definitely have a flair for the stage and the dramatics and then also like a deep love for sports and athletics. And that really shaped who I grew into as a teenager. And especially in high school, I was um, on the basketball team and a part of the student body leadership team and also in theater and in all the plays and improv. And so really had a well-rounded experience in life where I, I just sort of got used to being able to fulfill those passions, like follow that creative spirit, follow what lit me up inside. Um, I remember having a conversation with my parents when I was in high school, where at my high school, basketball was like a class period. I don't know if other people have that experience <laughs> at their high schools, but no. basketball was a class period. And I think it was mostly to try to circumvent the rules around how many hours a team could practice. Cause if we were a class period, we could practice all year round anyway. Uh, and drama was also a class period. And so that was two of like my six class periods taken up by two activities that were, that meant a lot to me. And I felt like I couldn't really function as a human without them. And that's, that was a result of two, like the dramatic hormonal years of puberty. Uh, but so I talked to my parents about it. And the alternative, the solution was to take my foreign language requirement for high school at a summer school session. And I'm the fourth child. So three of my older siblings had already gone through high school at the time and they'd you know, done their, all their requirements by the books. Nobody had taken like a language or any other type of like class outside of my public high school system at a, at a summer school. And there were definitely some like nerves from my parents on allowing me to do that. And we, we reached a, we've reached a mediation and um, they decided to let me to let me take that summer school class so that I could take both of those other activities. And it just highlights how supportive my experience was growing up of, of those around me and those who sort of had influence over those decisions with me and also highlights how important it is, I think, to like fill your spirit with the things that you're good at and like the the talents that you have. I don't have a talent really for physics, but I took it in high school because that was a requirement. Um, and I would have like loved to have given that up to do drama or something, <laughs> but that wasn't, that wasn't the most uh, accessible summer school class. So I always think about that story and, and really reflect on it, knowing that my parents had like fear around doing something new that they weren't used to, but also feeling a lot of gratitude that they, embraced the fear and allowed me to do it anyway, because it really, really gave me a incredible like high school experience to have because I was able to develop those talents and like all of the leadership skills and just like social skills that come with it. So I look back on my childhood and my teenage years and am overwhelmed with gratitude for 
the way they turned out. Yeah. And uh, I love everything that you shared with us. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on, you talked about having a thrill of getting on stage. What was it about being on stage that thrilled you so much? Um, I, I love, I love entertaining people. I love bringing <laughs> people joy. I love filling the world with um, cheer and thought-provoking experiences. Um, my, my biggest sort of moment of realization where I was like, oh, I really like this was the summer between my eighth grade and freshman year of high school. I went to a basketball camp also at Stanford and I was um, a very big fan of Tara Vanderveer, who's still the women's coach at Stanford to this day. She had like taken the Stanford women's team to the NCAA finals and the U S women's team to a gold medal. And I was just like, Oh man, I'd love to play basketball for her someday. Uh, but I never grew past like five, eight. And also just realized I was never going to be a division one athlete in basketball. But, uh, that summer I went to the camp that she was hosting at Stanford and I went with my older sister, Casey, and they have like a talent show portion to the basketball camp, which is fun. And at the time, I had learned all of the choreography to Michael Jackson's Beat It. And it was sort of like a party trick that I had developed during my eighth grade year. And my sisters both encouraged me to do it during the talent show, but I was very nervous to do such a thing. There's like a really big difference about performing, I think, in front of a community that you know and performing in front of a community that you do not know at all. And this was a like four day camp and I didn't know anybody there except for my sister, but through their encouragement, I decided to do it. And I started like the song started and I started the first moves and the crowd erupted on the bleachers and I'm inside Maples Pavilion, which I had dreamed about for so much of my young life at that point on the floor there and did the whole dance. And it was amazing. And I was riding the high of, that performance. And then Tara Vanderveer called me down later on in the talent show. And she's like, get that girl back down here. And I taught her the moves in front (laughs) of the whole camp. And I think that that was a really formative experience in my life because not only did I realize that bringing people joy, like entertaining people, um, taking them to a creative world was something that filled me up, but also like it led to sort of the manifestation of other dreams. Like me walking in the path of my passions led to me basically getting to meet Tara Vanderveer, which was a dream of mine at the time. So I, I always have that little voice in the back of my head whenever sort of I feel out of alignment there to remind me you know where your talents are, you know where your gifts are, you know what fills you up and what fills up those around you, like redirect, get back on, get back in line with that. Yeah, that's an incredible story. And uh, whenever you hear that song come out at the bars or anywhere else, do you just start to get into the motion again? It it used much more so (laughs) in the past. Now I think we're all playing Michael Jackson a little bit less and for good reason, but um, definitely in the past, it was my party trick all through high school. That uh, freshman year, I went from a small, like private Catholic grade school into the much larger public high school. And again, 
didn't really know anyone. And I think within the first week of school, there was some sort of like lunchtime talent show where I did it again. And people once more connected (laughs) to it in a big way. And that sort of set me up for having a really great um, high school experience too. Now, you also mentioned that you were loud and opinionated at a young age. What did you feel like you used this for when you were younger? Um, A lot in defense of others. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but it's sort of a personality uh, framework. And every number has a different set of descriptions. And I'm an eight, which is like the challenger or the defender. My older siblings experienced bullying growing up in school. And I witnessed that from a really young age and uh, carried it with me. And so I had a tendency to um, get in the mix and get in the middle of perceived injustice on the playground and and things like that so I probably should have gotten in like more trouble with authoritative figures at school for for some of my behavior in 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 that frame but I was lucky that I didn't yeah sticking up for people I absolutely love that so number eight is the challenger of the it's a, what was the title? It's the of that? Challenger of the Defender. I think it's, it's a couple different exactly. names. Yeah. Yeah. It's based off of like one through nine, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. I have not taken it just yet, but uh, I've been encouraged too, so that my family can figure out why we can't talk to each other, some say. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I highly recommend it. I had been, I went through most of my life thinking I was a seven, yeah. uh, which is the enthusiast, and I have a really strong seven wing, but then we did, I was like 24, and, um, I think I was 24 ish. And we did a a workshop. A friend of mine was like getting her certification in it. And we did a workshop and I learned and realized that I was an eight and that I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of hangups around vulnerability at the time. Like did not feel comfortable being vulnerable with others. Felt like if I was vulnerable, I was being a burden on others, even though no one would ever think that right. Everyone always wants to like hold space for you and love you. And it was uh, a really pivotal moment in my life to like, I broke into Brene Brown and all of her teachings and I went to therapy and I had lost someone really important to me in, in my life at that, at that moment and started to heal and open up. And it was like a catalyst for leaving my job in finance and, and moving into other pursuits. Yeah. Uh, and last thing, like while we were in high school, did you feel like you had any idea what you were doing or did you kind of feel like you were following a path that might've been set kind of there for you? Oh, I think it, I think it's a good mix. High school is hard. Like you, you're, if you are living in um, a situation where, you know, you have a stable home and you go to a good school and you have all of these administrators whose job is literally to, keep you on this path, which at the time every, for everyone is higher education. Everyone has that goal of you graduating from high school with good grades and well-rounded activities and all in the pursuit of like getting into a good college. And then you're sort of, sort of expected to figure it out from there, I guess. So everyone has really good intentions in that way. And when you're in it, it can feel a little constricting because 
you want to live up to all those expectations because it's all you've ever known. Um, I feel that in my experience, I definitely knew what I was supposed to do, which was like good, get good grades and um, apply to good schools and, and get into one and go to one. So that's always in the back of your mind or the forefront of your mind. Uh, but I felt like I had a lot of freedom in high school to be myself. I was pretty unapologetically myself in high school. I did all the activities that meant something to me, um, not necessarily ones to like fill up a resume and the people around me supported me in that. And I, you know, engaged in behaviors that I was proud of. I mean, I was an athlete all of high school and basketball was 11 months of the year. So I was really focused on that and wasn't out partying, but also was still engaged in like a lot of social activity um, and just really felt freedom to, to be myself, to be sort of who I was as this like weird, gawky, athletic theater kid um, who was also like student body president and homecoming queen. So there was just, <laughs> there. it was weird. I mean, I don't think that that's atypical of, of people's experience. And I feel really grateful that the stars aligned um, that allowed me to be myself and feel like I could do so without repercussion or fear. Yeah. I love to hear that because I feel like most people try to live their life uh, in response to others or comparing themselves to others. So it's awesome that you were able to be yourself even throughout high school, where it's a very vulnerable time and people just want to fit in. So um, totally. that's awesome. And it's probably why you were able to get to the level to where you needed to be because you were just being yourself and you were happy with who you were so you could excel. Now, moving on to college, was uh, Stanford the college you wanted to attend since you were young, or what were the reasons for attending Stanford? Yes, <laughs> when I was <laughs> so when I was four, I was like back in like ninety two is when Tar Vanderveer, the women's coach there, um, took the women's team to the national championships and the U.S. women's team to the Olympic gold medal. And my older sisters both played bas basketball, so basketball was just like big in my family especially only for the girls, actually, the boys in the family didn't play. Um, but I really idolized the program there. And so my dream was like to play basketball there. And my AIM screen name, for those of you old enough to have had an AIM listening to this, uh, <laughs> that stands for AOL Instant Messenger. It was where we talked. There was no Snapchat. There was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. There was barely internet. Um, my AIM screen name from sixth grade on was Cardinal QT 1891. <laughs> Cardinal is the Stanford mascot and 1891 is the year it was founded. So that was like really bold, really bold. And um, then my, my oldest sister, who is, shoot, she's like seven years older than me. She was applying for she was the first of of our family of the kids to apply to college and she applied to all these different places and Stanford was um the best place that she got in and so she's like okay I'm gonna go there and so she went there and then my older brother 
um, is a computer science whiz and, you know, was building computers and coding basically since he could talk. And so it made sense for him to go to Silicon Valley. And so he went to Stanford and then my older, my other older sister, who's two years older than me, she decided to go there too. So by the time I was coming into my senior year of high school, I was feeling like pretty rebellious at that point. I was like, <laughs> oh, you all stole my dream. Like this was mine. <laughs> and for a minute, I pretended like I, I wanted to go anywhere else. But the the truth was that that I wanted to, to be there. Um, and so I applied and was very fortunate and, and got in and, and decided to decided to go and it was an incredibly incredibly good decision for me yeah and what uh what reasoning did you have behind getting a degree in history i <laughs> i kept finding myself writing papers about women that's pretty much everything my freshman year like no matter what class i was taking i always found a way to, to like write a paper about women and i was like huh what am, what's happening here and so um I just was really drawn to like the history as a, as a major and specifically focusing on gender studies. So that was my, my focus within history. Um, it was fascinating and it fulfilled all of my academic whims and really gave me a lens through which to critically examine the world. And it was like the first time in my life where I started noticing whose stories we weren't being taught, whose stories weren't being told, right? Who has been like disenfranchised by someone else's accumulation of power. Why don't we know about it? And starting to think critically about that and notice that and see the world in that way. I mean, holy, holy moly. Like that's, I'm so grateful. And that is really like the thing that I took away from, from that degree is just bringing that critical lens to everything. Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways of getting, uh, these stories out there. The last person I interviewed does that through photographs. Did you have a vision of how you kind of wanted to um, educate people? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I had no vision of that whatsoever. Um, what was your I, vision at the time? None. I My vision at the time while I was in college was like, whoa, this is fun. I'm getting to meet all these interesting people. I'm, I was super interested in like the theater that I was doing in college and, and all that, all that other stuff. Um, and all the, like the leadership opportunities that I had within school. So I was, um, an RA, uh, which at Stanford looks a little different. It's, it's just like a part of the residential education system. So rather than, policing students you are responsible for holding space for their emotional mental like physical well-being uh which really pushed me to grow in big big ways which i was very grateful for um and it was around like my junior year of college that i sort of realized i didn't have necessarily a vision for for what came next and was just enjoying kind of being a sponge and collecting information and learning what i didn't like and what i was good at and uh, at that time, my advisor or like the resident fellow of the dormitory that I was RAing in, uh, a man named Cliff Nass, was chatting with me, and I explained to him that I was thinking about co-terming um, or getting my master's in communications and media studies, 
uh, because obviously media was like a big interest of mine always has been. And I think representation in media is, is fascinating and needs a lot of revamping and, and critical thinking. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And that's his department. So he uh, became my advisor in that. And at the time, uh, social media was like just becoming a thing. So this was like 2009. And I was really interested in use like the the uh, evolution of social media as a tool for communication and had a lot of thought about that but I actually ended up writing my master's thesis on um representation of and this is a content warning for anyone who's experienced sexual assault but my um my master's thesis was on media representation of sexual assault survivors and I also was uh, an intern for the Center for Relationship Abuse Awareness on campus. So that was sort of a way to marry my interests in gender studies and media. And what was your role at that uh, last position you were just talking about? Um, as an intern, I was mostly responsible for developing and um like operationally putting on seminars in fraternities and sororities around um, like dating violence and consent and assault and everything like that. What were the emotions that you felt when you were writing this thesis? Um, I, it's so funny to like look back on it. I, I was really immersed in, in it all and, and, feeling like, you know, anger and distress and frustration and my whole subject of, of the paper was that the media is like the way they actually it was now, like how many years later is this? 10 years later, it, the whole paper would look so different to me. But at the time I was focusing on media's, um, choice to like leave out the names of assault survivors and how that's important because you know oftentimes when their names are made public a public record they sort of get dragged through um all of these really intense continual like public trials in addition to like the the one they're they're going through in relation to their assault and like their character is attacked and and they're being re-victimized and all of that. So my argument was that it's 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 good that we leave out survivors' names. And now going back, I would bring such a much more critical lens to the way media portrays um, survivors in general, like the the oftentimes unfair um, like categorization and characterization of these individuals. Um, and that's you know that's a result of me living through the last 10 years, right? We're in like a post me too movement and, and a post me too time and being able to go back and like critically examine that even more is something, um, that if I had the time or resources to do, I, I would, I always think about how I would just like love to go back to college again and just redo like classes, not, or take new classes. Like everything's so much different than how it was when I was there. Um, and it would just be really fascinating to go back and do it again. Yeah. 
of course you would have a completely different focus but hey no one's stopping you from writing you could always continue to write that's true that do. is true <laughs> um now what was is was this a non-for-profit you said you were working for as like a social media um no that was just uh that was just a campus a campus organization oh cool so yeah. what did you do directly after you graduated so directly after I graduated, I moved back home to LA and I was working for an early stage like fashion startup at the time. And I was hired to do social media marketing for them. But because it was so early stage, I ended up doing so much more as one does as a start at a startup of, yeah. of that um, of that stage. So I was like doing inventory and writing copy for the website and looking at SKUs and all of this stuff. And I was doing that for a few months and wasn't really, I was like, man, I don't know if like social media marketing is actually like what I care about or what I want to do. And I had interned during college at uh, First Republic Bank, which is in my opinion, best bank ever. Uh, I'm still a client. And at the time, my old manager approached me and, and a friend who's also a colleague about coming back to the bank and starting a new sort of initiative to work with early stage tech companies. And it would mean moving back up to the Bay Area and it would mean working in finance, which were two things that I didn't really expect to do. Like I I pretty much thought that after college, I was going to move home to LA and be working down there. And um, it was an incredible opportunity and we decided to take it and move back up to the Bay Area. And I started doing that and that ended up being where I worked for like the next three years. And at this time when you kind of, you mentioned you felt a little bit confused. Um, was there anybody that you felt like was a mentor to you or anybody that you could lean on for advice? Uh, this old, this manager from First Republic who, who hired me was definitely a mentor and uh, continues to be one to this day and felt like I could, I could le- lean on her for advice for sure. I'm, I'm really fortunate in that I've, I've sort of spent my whole career surrounded by uh, female mentors who have had their own diverse set of experiences and have made themselves available to answer questions and really give insight as I was thinking about career decisions. Yeah. So you worked there for three years. What eventually, what, what was your next move or what was your reasoning for leaving? Well, I <laughs> went to see my younger brother. My younger brother ended up going to Stanford as well. And his senior year, he had his final sketch comedy performance. And I went to it. And after the performance was over, I went into my car and I started just sobbing. And I had this, you know, quarter life epiphany. Um that I, yeah, I was, I must've been 25 at the time. Um, I just had this epiphany that I missed that. Like I, I was so envious of him being on stage and getting to make people laugh and getting to bring people joy and like entertain. And I felt so disconnected by that point from that part of myself. And I think a lot of the decisions I made right after college were in alignment with the idea of what you are supposed to do, right? Like I spent five years getting two degrees from an expensive and elite university. Like 
of course I'm supposed to go work into finance. And at the time I was like gearing up to apply to business school because that felt like the next thing I was supposed to do. And this was just a real shock to the system where I realized that what I was supposed to do and what I actually wanted to do were looking very differently when I was honest with myself. And at the time I had been writing at SoulCycle for like three years or something and, and four or five, six times a week. And I realized that I felt like myself when I was in that room. Um, I felt like myself when I was doing that. And it sort of combined these two identities of mine that I had been pretty disconnected with, which were the identity of, you know, an entertainer and an athlete. And also sort of added on this new identity that I had cultivated or not even cultivated, but just gotten to know more like it had always been present in my life, but of being someone who um, creates community and, you know, provides a space for others to seek like healing and wellness and, and togetherness. Um, And that's something that I really sharpened or, or connected to in my days as an RA in college And so with that realization, I just decided to quit my wonderful job in finance and um, auditioned to be an instructor and had all the conversations I needed to have with all the people in my life explaining to them this very unique decision. And to everyone's credit, at least to my face, they were nothing but supportive and loving. And yeah. What were your uh, emotions going into those conversations? Because I know those can be the most difficult part. I mean, even telling my mom that I was moving three hours away to move to Evanston, Illinois was uh, <laughs> one of the more difficult parts I've had in the past couple of years. Oh, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's um, it's really hard having having the conversations with the people that you love who might be disappointed by your decisions, even though, you know, it's what's right for you. I mean, it's just it's so complicated. I was fearful. I was really fearful. Um, because you have this story playing in your head, or at least I had this story. I don't speak for anyone else. I had this story playing in my head that if I, that somehow these people's love for me, their support for me was tied to me fulfilling this expectation that they had. And the moment I deviated from that expectation, the love would disappear, right? Or I'd be letting them down. Um, that was another big thing of mine that I, that I had to start to sort of work through was this idea that I... By being myself, I could, I would let other people down. So I shouldn't be myself in order to like continue to not rock their boat. And that's such a disservice to them and to myself. Um, so it was, it was just like fear and fear of disappointment. And, you know, I fear of failure has never really been a fear of mine. I fail every fucking day. Like I have failed a million times in my life and started things, stopped things, tried something, didn't go well, you know, all of it. Um, So fear of failure wasn't really on it. And I think that ties back to, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily um, care about what others think of me, but I care about others experience of me. I care about how I impact other people's life. So if someone like thinks I'm too much or, you know, makes fun of me for who I am or like anything like that, I 
it truly doesn't like penetrate into my brain or my soul. But if I've disappointed someone, if I've let someone down, if I have hurt someone, if my actions or my words, it is devastating. I mean, it's crippling. Like it's truly crippling to me. And that is what I was feeling in that moment. Yeah. And I can uh, relate in some way. I mean, when I was in college, I wanted to go for a degree that pursued being a research scientist because that's what my father was. Mm. And so I just, I ultimately just wanted to make him proud and be that. But what I found out at the end of the day is he didn't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) And so every time I would talk to him about what I wanted to do, it was really just telling him what I thought he wanted me to do. Um, So finally realizing that it took me a little longer than most, but uh, no, thank you for sharing that. Uh, now diving into Soul Cycle a little bit, could you describe what Soul Cycle is for people that don't know and what your role is within the company? Yeah, so it is a um, high intensity cardiovascular full body workout that happens in a studio uh, on a stationary bike. So it's um, you might be able to compare it most traditionally to like a spin class, but there is like a soulful sort of self-actualization element to it all. So you're not just working out to get a workout in, but you're also working out to connect to yourself, to connect to community, to connect to the world. Awesome. You explained how you kind of got into the position, but how did you go about your first class? What got you into that first class? Oh, that was um, totally because my best friend from college had a crush on her instructor in LA (laughs) and she made me go with her on the first morning or the the early morning of the 4th of July, which was hilarious. Um, And I, I was enthusiastic about it. I was like, oh yeah, let's do it. And I realized quickly that she had really wanted me to go because she had a huge crush on this guy and they're married now and having a child. Um, so everything works out. I always joke that she got the boy and I got the bike. Uh, but it was just that he, my, he's also a friend of mine, Ben, and he was like meowing over the mic and, and like doing an interpretive <laughs> dance with a candle. Um, and I was like, oh, this is, this is for me. Like this kind of place where you can just sort of be yourself. Like this is for me. Uh, and that had been, that had been like the big draw. Yeah. You kind of feel like you get your drama performances out in some of these. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I always say like, I try to keep people laughing so they don't know how much we're like kicking our own butts. You know, (laughs) you're, you're more likely to add another turn of, of resistance onto the bike if I'm, if I'm cracking a joke. So (laughs) now, um, when you talk about soul, you're talking about being connected, being motivated. So as an instructor, how do you cultivate a class that is connected and motivated? Uh, I think it, it, it's it got to be authentic to you in every way. So if anything that you're saying, if any music that you're playing, if any move you're doing is because you think it's what you're supposed to do, it's gonna, it's not gonna read, right? Like nobody can connect to that. It's just, it has to be this like authentic, authentic connection, um, this authentic presentation of who you are. And that's what people in my experience are really drawn to and that's where they're able to feel like oh if it's okay for you to be who you are it's okay for me to be who I am and uh, I think that's just true everywhere we go in all things that we do like authentic authenticity is sort of it is the cornerstone of connection because you create this space where you are you are giving everyone permission to be who they are I love that. And uh, something that geeks me out is always learning about people's first day. So being an instructor, being all eyes on you, uh, how large are these classes and what was your first day like? Um, 
they can range, you know, from anywhere where you have like only one person in your class to the room is full with like 64 <laughs> people in your class. So when I'm just starting out, it's, it was really small. The, the people coming to class were, um, getting to know me and I was getting to know them, but I loved it from the get go. I mean, strap a Britney Spears-esque microphone on me and put me on a stage and I'm very happy. Um, <laughs> but then the unexpected part of it, like the part I did not account for was how deeply entrenched in the community of, of folks who would come. I I didn't realize that these people would walk into my room and also just walk fully into my life and my heart. And that has been so true. And um, it just became a place of belonging and community and family. And that also happened from the get-go. And I feel really, really fortunate for that experience. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I uh, was a bartender for five years. So although we had completely different ways of creating community, because you're helping people live longer, and uh, I'm <laughs> talking them throughout their day or sports or whatever it may be, uh, I didn't even think about that. So your people are signing up. So you said your classes started off small, but maybe they continued to grow because you're creating that community, correct? Um. Yeah. And, and that is, it, it just gives people a sense of like belonging that they might not experience elsewhere. It's even if they don't ever introduce themselves, even if they don't, I'll still learn their name because I have ways of learning everyone's names. And, you know, it's that having that point in your day where you're seen or somebody knows you, right? Like, yeah. I think a lot more people than we realize go through their whole days and nobody asks how they are. Nobody asks them how they're feeling. Nobody asks anything about them. Nobody sees them. And we all, every single person on this planet has the power to make someone else feel seen, feel known, feel loved, feel like they belong. And that's the absolute greatest power you will ever have. And it's the only power that matters, like truly, because it's one that you can extend everywhere you go. And it's one that follows you no matter what the rest of your life looks like. And it's the one that just has daily impact. Um, yeah. So being able to bring that to folks is really, really meaningful to me. That's awesome. And for anybody listening, um, I'm going to start encouraging you. Just say, how are you doing to one person, whether they're across the street or you maybe you don't want to talk to them because you work with them and you never talk to them? Go ahead and try it out. You'll yeah. make their day. Yeah. Um, as an instructor for the past five years, how do you feel like you've changed? Oh, I think I, I don't think I've changed so much as I've grown even more into myself. Like, yes, I think I've shed more than I've like changed. I've, I've become who I've always been. All the other bullshit has, has fallen away. Yeah. And I definitely credit being able to step in that room, being able to meet other people, having a voice, learning to how to harness that voice, learning how to empower others to use their voice, learning how to share the mic, learning how to, um, learning how to direct my gifts, my talents, my passions in a way that creates a positive impact in the world. It's just, it just clarified everything. It was just like a big deep exhale of like, oh yeah, this is, this is who I am. Yeah. When you talk about sharing the mic, are there multiple instructors in there? Uh, no, 
I just mean it more metaphorically. <laughs> it's only me in there one, at one time, but I just mean it more metaphorically. Oh, cool. of, of, I didn't know if like when you first came in, you were the only one talking. And everyone yeah. Was like, hey, maybe tone it down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, luckily no one's ever told me to tone it down. <laughs> Not to my face, at least. Wouldn't be a good day for the other person. Yeah. Um, what, what do you feel like has been some of the most inspiring moments while you've been there? Um, oh, I think a lot of like the charity, like charity rides that we've done around certain things, um, did a ride around raising awareness for gun violence. And that was really powerful. Um, charity rides for friends who have lost a parent to cancer. Uh, and then just the classes where we're celebrating something specific. Uh, I did a ride for one of my best friends the morning of her wedding out in the Hamptons. And that was really special because it was just a, a room of full of all of our best friends. And I, the love was heart pounding. It was amazing. Um, the times where we grieved together. So after really, really like dark days in the world, being able to come together and know that there's a place where you can hold that space and, and you can feel supported. Um, and just every little thing in between, every little thing in between of, of getting to know these people and the, the peaks and valleys of their lives and getting to be that constant face that shows up for them through it all. Yeah. And being that constant face, how do you, go into that with a positive mindset because in a lot of positions where you might be at a desk and you might not have to talk to a lot of people or maybe through email you're the front of a class so you're the face of that class so you have to be consistent uh are there is there anything that you think about going into every class even when you have a bad day um i think that i you get to be the best part of someone else's day and that's a privilege and even if I am having my worst day and it's okay to show that, like, it's okay to be honest and, and be wherever you are. I still have the opportunity to be the best part of someone else's day. And so it's as soon as you step in that room and like you see the people and you put on music that, that motivates you, it's the positive mindset just sort of happens. Yeah. For me at least. Very cool. Um, I know there's a couple places open up here in uh, Chicago as well. Uh, I was looking at the website, so uh, <laughs> my girlfriend and I will definitely probably check out one of those classes. Um, now, I want to talk about course meditation in just a second, but one quick question, because I know you also started a podcast this last year, correct? Yes. And I've been listening to it for the last few days, uh, cracking up, because you guys bring so much energy to yours. Um, <laughs> do you have, and just so people can listen to it or maybe direct themselves right to one, do you have a favorite episode where you and Molly just feel like you connected and the message was phenomenal? Oh my God. I could never, I could never pick a favorite, a favorite <laughs> episode. Yeah. So she's thriving is a podcast. I started with one of my best friends who I met in soul cycle instructor training uh, like six years ago. And we just wanted to create a space where people could talk about things that really matter to them. And uh, it, it, a lot of the episodes are just Molly and I, talking to each other in my closet. Um, and so it's hard to point out a favorite, but I think I'll always be really grateful for that 
all those conversations and, and looking back on them because we were learning in real time. Like we were healing in real time. We were growing in real time. We were developing new habits and new ways of thinking in real time and of feeling the way they were affecting us and changing our lives. And we were going through like such intense area. We were going through such intense experiences in our own lives and our own individual lives. And so being able to come together and sort of work through them and then have others relate to that was, was really powerful and, and wonderful. And I, um, I'm so grateful that, that we have that. Yeah. In one of your episodes, I know, uh, you were quoting, uh, atomic habits. You, uh, the quote was, you don't rise to meet your goals. You fall to the systems you have in place. Um, do you want to talk about this at all and how it's kind of helped shape you maybe? Oh, for sure. I am a person who has repeated a story in my head uh, about my identity uh, being someone who's like just disorganized and sort of, I, I take a very incoherent route to get to where I'm going, which doesn't necessarily make any sense in the moment, but I always end up where I want to be. Um, and if I had just built more, if I have built more intentional habits, I, my whole life would just feel more intentional and fulfilling. And I read that book and it, and so much of it resonated with me because I had zero systems in place. So yeah. <laughs> I would only ever like when I failed, it's usually because I didn't have any systems in place. And there are so many like tiny little habits we can do every day to create a healthy and fulfilling life that are like free, you know, it's putting your phone away like two hours before you're trying to go to bed. Um, it's waking up and, and not looking at it the first thing in the morning. It's, it's hydrating. It's, uh, it's spending time in nature. It's meditating. Um, it's, it's all these little things that like stack up and create really big, big compounding change in our overall emotional, physical, and mental well-being. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest uh, habits that I've been changing lately is waking up every single day at 5 a.m., setting my alarm the night before, and not hitting the snooze. Uh, somebody recently had told me that when you hit snooze, you're telling yourself that you've already started the day off with a loss. So by accepting the time that you set for yourself the night before, you're starting the day off with a win. So waking up that first time and just going for an hour walk with my lady and my pup. Oh, <laughs> it's been a great week so far. So um, I love that. No, I love that book. And I just wanted to touch on that because I know uh, your podcasts have been inspiring to me as well. I would also say, I love that you shared that story because I also think it's like, if you hit the snooze button, you're also waking up and you're starting your day on a lie, right? Like you made yeah. this promise to yourself that you were going to wake up at that time and you broke it. And so that's how you start the day and really adjusting my mindset and thinking about, I would never make, I would never break a promise to someone else. Like I would just never. And most of us wouldn't. Most of us have been socialized in this world that our word is our bond, right? Our word is our represent, our, our, um, our reputation and we won't break it. And then when it comes to doing things for ourselves, we're, we're the first, we're the first promise we break is to ourselves. We're the first lie we tell is the lie we tell to ourselves. and adjusting that mindset so that you just notice it too. Um, because I will say, and I, I always like to be really thoughtful and careful about this in that 
there are going to be days where you set your alarm for 5 a.m., right? And your body, like sleep is the most important thing. Number one, 100%, hands down. Sleep is the most important thing. So if it's like a difference of you hitting snooze, so you get like six hours instead of four hours of sleep, I'm going to step in here and say like hit snooze, like go back to sleep because you will be functioning at a low level the rest of your day. Um, And that's like not good for your body or like your brain or anything. But if it's a matter of when the actual thing that you want to do comes up and you're like, oh, I'm not feeling motivated. No one ever feels motivated. (laughs) The motivation is, motivation is not the driving force in life. Like at all. Most of us aren't feeling motivated to do much of anything any of the time. Um, But it's just, it's creating these systems that propel you in the direction you want to go and then making a promise and keeping the promise. Like so much of any type of progression or growth or evolution in life is not a result of motivation. I think it's a result more of this is something I want. So I'm going to make something like a really tangible, small, measurable goal. And I'm going to hit it often and consistently and see how it feels. Because also maybe you set the alarm for 5 a.m. and you try it for a week and you're like, holy shit, that's too early. <laughs> like I can't do yeah. it. I need another hour. And then you do it at 6 a.m. You're like, oh, this feels better your life is an experiment. Like you, everything's made up, you're made up, like you get to remake everything up as often as you want and sort of find what works for you. Yeah, I love that. And I was laughing because I was thinking about uh, in your guys' podcast, you guys are just like, and we're not going to tell you not to take the nap. And then I could hear both you and Molly at the same time, take the nap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anybody hasn't heard it, Go listen to it. Uh, She's thriving. You also started another podcast, didn't you? Oh, I've started Somebody so many podcasts. Okay. Yeah, we'll leave the be- description of those in the link for sure. If you want me to, oh. did you want to touch on any of the other podcasts you may have done? I actually just want to like touch on the story of them, maybe. Yeah, um, it. it's so funny because like I I forget that there's more out there, and until somebody <laughs> brings them up, but like I I got into podcasting like a very long time ago. I was it's a great medium. I think, um, it's radio, it's talk show. It's all that in one. Did you go under the username Cardinal QT? I wish, <laughs> I wish I know I should trademark that username. Uh, no, I hope someone else is using it somewhere out there. Like I hope there's some kid on TikTok right now. That's just Cardinal QT 1891 ing it up. <laughs> I, um, I actually started the, I think the first podcast I started was like a, a bachelor recap podcast, which is so funny. Cause I don't really watch that show anymore but it was just a fun way to bring those conversations I was having with girlfriends online and disseminating them to others and then I started another podcast that was just a friend of mine and I like kind of shooting the shit talking about um our lives as 20 something year olds in San Francisco and like dating and all this other stuff and then after that I started people cooler than me, which was, um, in response to, you know, I think a cultural shift that's still occurring in just in our country and feeling like there was, um, the stories of voice and relating it back again, also to my studies in college, but I just wanted to create a platform for the voices of people that we, we don't often hear from and people who are just doing cool things in the world. And, um, and it was just, 
you know, a podcast is a really lovely excuse to just talk to people and learn from people who are awesome. Yeah. So I, I, was util- here today. Yeah. I was just utilizing it in, in that way. And then, and then, you know, she's thriving came along. Um, but the, the point of sort of walking folks through that journey is that, um, you could look back on a lot of that. And, and I kept just like, I don't consider them failures, but like they were sort of failures in so much that I I tried one thing and then stopped it because I was like, Oh, this isn't the right thing. And then I tried another thing and then stopped it because it wasn't like the right thing or wasn't fitting, but like kept on that path. And I, and there was never expectation of them. Luckily for me at the time, like I I had as full-time employed throughout all of those. And I, there was no expectation that it was going to be like a revenue stream. I was just, it was just a creative outlet. And I'm so grateful that I made time for my creativity and gave it the freedom to be just that, to be this creative experience. And I think that there's so much value in that and just and finding a way to express that, which you're passionate about. I always want to caution people from this idea that like, if you're not, if your job is not also your passion, then you're not doing it right. Or that your life is unfulfilling because I don't think that's true. I think that we live in a society that's structured in a way where you, you need to be working to have healthcare. Like you need to be working to put food on the table. Like you need to be working to have shelter. And because of, you know, the systems that are at play in this country, the opportunities available to some people are a lot different than the opportunities available to others based on like things we talked about before in regards to privilege, race and education and disability and gender and sexuality and all of these things. And so if you need to work at a certain job to be able to provide the basic security you need in your life. Don't let anyone tell you that you're not living a fulfilled life, like because you're not following your passion because your passion is outside of that basic job. Um, if you can bring or, or a job that like maybe isn't ideal to you, if you can still bring your whole self to that job in a way that, that and you can bring a positive mindset to that job, that's incredible um, because that's, that's what's actually determining your experience of your life, right? The job itself is not determining your experience. The mindset that you bring to it is. Um, but then also encouraging people to find time if they can to creatively explore what they are passionate about or just like play, play. If you don't know what your passions are, if you don't know, if you don't think you're creative, that's okay. Play, like go do anything that, that feels like play. And when I say that, I mean, feels like when you were a kid and you didn't have expectations and you could go outside and just play around, like however that looks like for you as an adult, that's really important. And I, it's sad because in the way our society is set up, we don't value play as much as we do productivity. And it's not fair because productivity is not an actual measure of your value or your worth. Like, you know, who you are as a person is, is your value and your worth. And that's not really up for debate. That's not, 
up for judgment or evaluation. Um, so I think that finding opportunities to play and that's what podcasting has always been for me. It's just been an opportunity to play. I couldn't have explained it better myself. So uh, you are spitting out gold right now, MK, and I appreciate that. Uh, do you feel like now I want to transition to where you're at currently with course meditation? Do you feel like this was, uh, did you feel like you found this because you felt like you started to play or was this, how did, how did this idea come about? First of all, I guess we'll start off with what is course meditation and then you can kind of dive into how it came about. Yeah. So chorus is a new type of mindfulness experience that, um, combines a few different meditative techniques to create an accessible practice where people are able to really drop into their bodies, create some space between ourselves and our thoughts and our feelings, and really bring intentionality into the way we're interacting with the world. And we do that through a really specific three-step breath that's um, a uh, that, that is born out of the tradition of pranorama breathing and uh, that's like yogic breathing and then some more like traditional meditative techniques like visualization and mantra and we breathe to the rhythm of music and it's music that is like popular music of today um, based on every teacher's personal preferences uh, to create this this like powerful experience and uh i we are we are called chorus meditation um but i'm we're trying to like sort of or i'm trying at least to, to shift i've been doing like a lot of education around like decolonizing my mindset in the wellness space and i want to be really hyper aware of the fact that meditation is a and breath work are because we do um, elements of breath work in the class and in the method, uh, they are two practices that are based in like longstanding traditions of other cultures. And um, I feel very aware and conscious of not wanting to appropriate in any way or um, sort of like brand something that's been around for a long time in a new way. The, the practice that we've created, the method that we've created is like, a specific utilization of breath work and rhythmic breathing um, set to the beat of music to help us drop into a clear meditative state where we can like rewire our brain and make those new neural pathways. So there's like a bunch of science in it as well. Um, but so that's, that's what chorus is. And um, it, it was born out of, out of a lot of different things. But definitely, I think my openness to play is the reason, is part of the reason I'm I'm involved in it to this day. I personally, starting in 2016, um, experienced a lot of, starting in 2016 and after the election that year and becoming intentionally more educated around the ways other people were experiencing like oppression and disenfranchisement in this country. I was experiencing uh, intense anxiety that I had never experienced before. And for me, physical movement had always been the outlet. So like obviously riding a stationary bike and running and all these other things and playing basketball. And none of that was working. None of that was releasing the tightness that I was feeling in my chest. And so I 
basically was in in a moment of acute stress and needed needed the solution. And as we most of us have heard, meditation is apparently very good for you. And that's something, you know, I had heard forever, but it was so hard to start a meditation practice in the traditional sense. Um, but I, I didn't really have any other options. So I downloaded Headspace and I started doing Headspace and it made a really big difference. And I, the tightness in my chest started to release and uh, my awareness of like the world around me, it felt like everything became like a little uh, sparklier. Not that like, yeah. you know, not that I was creating a more positive mindset in life, but I was just became more aware of the fact that the thoughts and the emotions I was giving energy and power to were actually creating my experience. So it's like, if I'm giving that story that makes me feel like someone is mad at me or hates me more power, then that's all I'm going to see. And when I release myself from that story, when I'm like, oh, wait, that might not be true. And I sort of like clear that thought away and make space for like another thought to pop in or like redirect my attention. I'm able to cultivate an experience in this life that is more aligned with like a healthy, well um, existence. Yeah. And getting into that was really helpful in developing a meditation practice for myself was really helpful in my own journey. And then I was introduced to, um, you know, my co-founders who, who were also have that experience with meditation. And basically we all were interested in creating a mindfulness practice that felt like you could be successful at it and felt like really just accessible to the way we interact with the world these days. And I had done breath work and um, in a longer, like an hour and a half long breath work workshop. And the breath is so powerful. I mean, it's like the most powerful thing ever, uh, in my opinion, your breath and doing traditional uh, breath work, call it like holotropic breathing. You know, there's Wim Hof, there's Pranarama, there's all these different types of, of breath works. And it just shakes things up inside. It, it drops you into your physical body. There's like scientifically a lot happening in your blood. And then, you know, sort of mystically, there's a lot happening in your mind and in your soul. And we wanted to take that, but make it more, um, more digestible, more accessible. Cause I think that right now, a lot of people's perception of, traditional breath work feels like even even too and and it's just it's like very mystical and like very steeped in tradition which is amazing and incredible um and makes it like less accessible sometimes but your breath is so accessible and knowing how to harness it as a tool is so accessible so com creating a class creating an experience where we harness the breath in a really specific way to help us drop into that meditative like clear state where you're able to create new ways of thinking and then bring that back out into your life out there but if you had if you had told me 10 years ago when i was a 20 year old like absurd human in college that this would be my life now that i would be so steeped in the like science and um and uh in, in tradition of, of 
mindfulness and that it would become such a passion of mine. I, I, I could not have seen that path back then. I could not have seen that happening, but I do think that my openness and my, my desire to play is, is what led me here. Yeah. And I've been meditating for about the last year now. Um, I started off doing it about every day and I've dropped to probably doing it about two or three times a week so that I know I, I, I'm keeping my rhythm in a way. I think a lot of people have said, and I was guilty of this, I've always wanted to try meditation. I think a lot of people say that. So how do you oh, tell yeah. someone uh, how meditation helps you with your awareness? You kind of touched on this, but like, how would you explain to them that it's specific? Because I feel like a lot of people listening might be like, hmm, it uh, helps you with your spirituality and like all this other, I feel like you might not understand fully, but how do you feel like uh, meditation fully helps you with your awareness? So I always, I sort of think of like, we most, if we, if we don't have any mindfulness practice, if we don't have any awareness of our thoughts or our feelings, we are walking around in a really cluttered room with the lights off and we're constantly running into things and stubbing our toes and hitting our shins and falling over and having to get back up and start over again. And, and there's like no direction. There's no insight into where you're, where you're walking, right? You're sort of, you're just, you're in the throes of it all. And mindfulness and meditation flips the light switch on. So we haven't changed anything about the room, right? The room is still cluttered. You're, you're always going to have thoughts. You're always going to have emotions. No thought, no emotion is good or bad. They're just thoughts. They're just emotions. What, what matters is like our relationship to them, how much power we're giving them, what we're prescribing to them. So when you flip on the light switch, suddenly you can look around the room and you can go, oh, there, there is a track of spikes from me to the door. I don't want to step on those. Um, I am now aware of that track of, of spikes. So I'm going to step over it, right. To try to get to my destination. Mindfulness and meditation are flipping on that light. So you become aware of those thought patterns. You become aware of what triggers you into a certain emotion. You become aware of how to steer yourself somewhere else. If that's where you want to be, you, you let yourself feel what you need to feel, but you also don't get swept away in the feeling so that you're yeah. so far off track of where you were going. You're, you're back in the dark room. Thank you for painting that picture. <laughs> um, I, no, I love that you share that because it makes complete sense. And I just wanted to make sure everybody was on the same page. And you had touched on earlier Brene Brown a little bit. And mm. I know um, the queen. I, I got to read a, <laughs> the queen. <laughs> I got to read a little bit on her a few weeks back. Actually, one of my favorite podcasters, Tim Ferriss, interviewed her as well. Um, so I got to listen to that, but she talks about blame and I don't know if you've listened to that. Uh, it's either a Ted talk or maybe she's given this talk many times before, but it's interesting when something goes wrong, the first thing we try to do is try to blame someone. And so I shared this with my girlfriend. And so, uh, many times throughout the day, we are finding ourselves looking at each other like, Oh, were you about to blame me on that? <laughs> so, becoming aware of your thoughts and why you're thinking those things and understanding that you can hold yourself accountable and understand it was you, uh, I think is what brought med- meditation has helped me personally. So I love that you share that as well. Um, I love that. Now, what is uh, talking about your business a little bit more, what is the process like for a new uh, customer and what does their journey look like? So 
if I signed up today, what does it look like? Should I schedule future weekly classes? Is there a beginner class? How does that work? Yeah. So there's, um, there's no beginner class. There's, there's just your sort of beginner experience and a beginner's mindset is a beautiful thing to bring to everything in life, but especially meditation and mindfulness. So our signature class is a 50 minute long class, uh, that starts with like a journaling prompt. And even before that I get into, or whoever's teaching it gets into, um, an explanation of the breath that we'll be utilizing and, and how all that works. And then there's um, some journaling at the beginning, and then we get into the actual like breathing practice. And then at the end, there's a chance to reflect once more. Then we send you on your merry way. And the first time, and all classes right now are, and will be in the future forever, digital. So they happen over Zoom. So when you sign up, you get a Zoom link and you do most of the practice lying flat on your back. So it's nice to have a comfy space where you can do that, where you can sort of set aside from distractions. And after the first class, I always describe it as you come to, you're like wake back up to the physical world. And the reaction is like, whoa, what just happened? There's a lot of physical sensations that happen with breath work. So there's like tingling in your body. There's vibrating. Um, you know, some people like see colors as their eyes are closed. There's, I say that I sometimes have like trippy time travel. Uh, there's just a lot that can happen. And so after the first experience, you oftentimes can, first of all, be like, what just happened? And then second of all, feel like the breath was a little daunting because it's, it's two inhales to an exhale. So one is inflating your belly and one is inflating your chest and then it's an exhale and releasing it all out together. And that's a new way to breathe, uh, than we do most of the time. And so that can feel a little challenging. So I always say that it takes a couple times. Um, it always takes like one or two times to feel like you really get the breath and then, as soon as you can, turning it into a frequent and consistent practice, because I think there's there's a maybe a misconception that like a, a mindfulness practice is supposed to be like a quick hit of a calming drug or something to you, and it yeah. can definitely have that effect. But the reality is, it's setting you up to be able to experience the rest of your life in the manner you want to experience it to bring that intentionality to your thoughts to your feelings to your words and to your actions so while we might feel drawn to these types of practices while you might show up to your first class because you are in an acute moment of stress the and then it relieves that moment the real magic is in turning it into a frequent and consistent practice, like coming every day, taking class every day. We have a 30 minute version as well. So that can fit better into people's schedules throughout the day. And that's when you really start to like notice the effects and the benefits in your life outside of the practice. And that looks like anything from just, you know, more regulation around your emotions so more awareness around your emotions, clearer focus, better sleep, um, better like connection and relation to the people in your life and all of that is an unlocking of a power that you already have it's already in you all of that is already in you and mindfulness just makes you mindful of it it just brings this awareness so that you're able to harness that power um because the reality is like we're never gonna we're never gonna shut off the challenges that you will face in life 
nobody gets soft scotch free. We're never going to shut off the thoughts and the feelings that pop into your head. That's the beauty of being a homo sapien, you know, thinking individual. But what you are doing through this practice is you are empowering yourself to bring this heightened awareness to those thoughts, to those feelings, to those challenges that you might face, to those joys that you get to encounter and cultivating a deeper appreciation and understanding of them. I love that. I heard somebody say the other day, I don't know why this just popped into my head while you were talking. Somebody had said, we are the only um, mammal on this earth that understands how long we could possibly live for. Like we understand the end range or the average lifespan. How do you feel like that affects humans versus how most animals live their lives? Oh, that's such a good question. No, I love that because I think it does affect us deeply because we, we operate, we operate as though there's a time limit, right? We operate knowing that this all can end at any time, but we have the knowledge that it could. So we have this sort of dual pressure of feeling like we have to have left behind a life of accomplishment or success and fulfill and live each day to the fullest. Like we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as a result, I think, rather than just, you know, a dog doesn't care that it lays around half the day and then (laughs) plays with you and you get home. Like that's amazing for them. That's fulfilling for them. But we put so much pressure on productivity. I think it comes back to a lot of like, what did this life mean at the end of it? And there's, there's, that's really special because it can be both, you know, challenging and and really empowering because it provides meaning of life, right? Like this life that I am living can and should have meaning and it can create this unnecessary pressure of, oh, does my life mean enough? Yeah. No, you answered that beautifully. I was just curious about your thoughts since we were in this oh, topic. I love that. What a what a question. <laughs> um, what do you believe has been the hardest part running your own business? Oh. Now back to the basic questions. Back to the basic <laughs> questions. I'm going to tell you what makes the hardest part the easiest part, which right. is find people <laughs> who compliment you and your skills. If I was running this business, operationally we would be done we would just be done we would be done because that's not like my brain just doesn't work like that it doesn't get lit up by that um and i have a team around me who whose brains do my co-founders ali and alex are amazing and and they really their skill sets complement mine so well and i think that that's important is to find um community and connection and colleagues who turn the hardest parts of what you're doing into like their strengths. And that I never in a million years thought I would start my own company, let alone like four now at this point. And, um, but I think I, what I've realized is that it does feel really good to 
be building something that's in alignment with your values and with who you are and with what you're trying to bring to the world and the way you want to be in service of the world. Um, and so running a company, like putting, putting so much effort into trying to bring something to people is really challenging and it's a lot of work and there's frustrating moments and there's moments you want to give up and quit. And then if you're surrounded by people who are in it with you, it just feels, um, it just feels much better. Like you, they hope they pick you up when you're like dropping down and you can do the same for them. But I, I think that the, the trick is to take anything that feels hard and find someone who it feels like easy to and bring them on the team. That's beautiful advice. And MK, would you be so kind to share with us your long-term goals for the business? Yeah, I I think my biggest long-term goal for Chorus is to empower people to use the most readily available tools to them, which are their breath and their mind, and cultivate a, a meaningful life for themselves, cultivate a meaningful experience, um, cultivate healing in their own lives to bring more healing to the world around them. I feel really in service of others and that's sort of directed, you know, most of my life and experience up to this point and will continue to do so. And I'm mostly always just looking to empower people to use the tools that they have already to unleash all the amazingness that's already existing inside them. So that's with Chorus, really just trying to help people unlock all of that. That's beautiful. Um, and coming down to the last couple of questions, I asked this to every one of my guests because I think it's important for this podcast, but how would you personally define success and how do you think that's changed over time? Mm, that's such a good question. I think it's, first of all, definitely changed a lot over time. I think that as you wake up to the world and become more aware of other people's stories and other people's experiences, you sort of realize how homogeneous your perspective was and how how much it was missing. And so my idea of success has expanded with my exposure to other people's lived experiences. And so now I think that my idea of success in this world, in this life, first of all, really shifts away from productivity um, yeah. and output and letting go of that belief and aligning more with this idea that you've lived a successful life if if you've been in service of others, if you've, if you've unlocked your own power, potential, voice, authenticity, truth, compassion, and love, um, and then you've reached back and you've helped someone else to the same. And that can look like so many different things, right? Like if you are a parent and you raise a child to do that, that's a successful life, right? If you've... Um, if you've worked in an essential job, which we are learning during this pandemic, what an essential job really is, right? And you've, um, and you've created some ease in someone else's life through your hard work, like that's successful. 
I think looking back at where you are and the progress that you've made and being reflective of that at various points in your own life and like consistently checking in and then looking at the world and thinking about how you can help someone else also find that fulfillment, um, that's success. And that requires a lot of reflection and accountability and awareness and then turning around and and bringing all of that learning to to the spaces around you yeah and i think uh, i love what you shared i think reflection is one of those most important pieces that i feel like i've learned in the last year more than any other because if you have nothing to reflect on and see for me at least i can't speak for everyone for me physically it's hard for me to uh, put that in terms of measurement. So like when I go back and listen to podcasts that I have done before, or when I go back and look at journals that I've written before, I, f- I feel really um, young. I feel really, mm. uh, you know what I mean? So yeah. for me, that's the way that I understand how I grow. Uh, for you yourself, how do you understand how you've grown then when you say you look back and reflect? What are those uh, things you put in place to understand that? Journaling is is a big one. And that's something that I've only developed sort of over the last few years. But it's it's really powerful to be able to exactly look back and sort of see where you were at at certain point in times. Um, I think that, you know, having really meaningful conversations with the people in your life is a really good way also to reflect in creating those relationships that are safe to be truthful and to be vulnerable and to be authentic and to share how you think maybe, um, to share how you, how you think you've been growing or, or not growing and, and, holding space for that is really special and important as well. Uh, And just being able to have those memories outside of yourself, like those other people walking around who remember you when you were young and dumb and thought you knew everything and approached the world in a really certain way and who can look at you now and, and reflect back to you all the ways you've grown and you, everyone has the power to do that for one another Molly and I always on the podcast on, on She's Thriving talked a lot about Mirror of Possibility, which is a, a line a instructor Angela Davis always used. And we have this opportunity to, to be this mirror of possibility for others and also to reflect back to others what we know to be true about them, um, how we've seen them grow and be that like living memory. But I think self-reflection is so valuable and important. And I really want to caution people not to get it confused with self-criticism and self-judgment, right? Because reflection, reflection is like seeing. Reflection is just seeing something. Like the reflection of from a mirror is just, it's just the, the map of that. It's just the picture of that. And it's you looking and exploring and being curious about it. Um, that's another big piece of, of mindfulness and meditation is that it really harnesses your power to explore things without judgment. It's bringing non-judgmental awareness. And I think bringing that non-judgmental awareness to your life is so important because when we get caught up in the self-criticism in the self-doubt and in the comparison, then we are stalling ourselves. We are pigeonholing ourselves. We can't move forward. Um, but when we are able to, like explore and 
reflect and be curious about who we are, about what we have believed, about what we believe now. We leave all this space and opportunity uh, and potential for progression. And um, I think that's, it's just important to understand the difference of that in, in oneself and also notice when you might be slipping into that instinct to judge, criticize, or evaluate your efforts and take a breath, take a beat, take a moment and shift that perspective back to that curious reflection. Of course. Um, And last question for you. What advice would you have for others who may want to start their own business, but just don't know where to begin? Google. (laughs) (laughs) I have no, yeah, that's it. That's my only advice. I mean, I I didn't know anything until I knew it and uh, I've Googled everything I've ever known probably. And then some, um, I would say to anybody who's starting their own business, make sure you're starting something because it is a problem that you want to solve or because it's a service that you want to bring to the world. Um, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm a product of Silicon Valley and I think that you see a lot of entrepreneurs there who are sort of just trying to catch on to the next big thing or just who just want to start a company to start a company. And that is check your motivations is my biggest piece of advice. Like what is calling to you? Because it's hard. And also you are talented and gifted in special ways and making sure that whatever you're doing is utilizing those gifts and talents and is in service of, of the world around you in, in a way that, that feels right for you. Yeah. Understanding your uh, ethos, if you will. Yeah. Behind what you're doing. Totally. Your, your time and your energy is too precious and so is everyone else's. Well, MK, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I'd love it if everyone could simply go check out. Um, where can we best find you at? And I, and I have to I have to clarify this. I don't mean on a map. Yeah. <laughs> Good, because I can't tell you that. But um, <laughs> we've been hopping around a lot lately. But the best place to connect with me is on Instagram. I'm at MK Hurlbut everywhere. That's just my name. It's not a clever username. It's M-K-H-U-R-L-B-U-T-T. You want to... You want to develop character in a child, give them a last name, Hurlbutt. <laughs> but that's where you can find actually, me. I was wondering if I pronounced that right in the introduction. You did. You crushed it. So many people. I like it, Hurlbutt. Yeah. So many people try to be polite and they'll say Herbert or like Hurlbert because they feel like they shouldn't say it the way it's spelled. But that is the way that is the way it is. And, you know, Jarrett, you obviously know Jarrett and his last name is Smith and a lot of people asked me when we got married if I would be taking his last name, and I, I was like, I simply could not. I could not go from the most interesting last name to Smith. Not that Smith isn't a beautiful name, because it is in its own way, but uh, I had to keep it. Had to keep the butt. Um, had to keep the butt. <laughs> well, if anyone listening has someone who they admire and want to recommend for the show, please send me a message at paveyourownpathpodcast at gmail.com. If you yourself feel successful, let me interview you. I know you guys learned something today. Please once again ask yourself, how do I bring value? Pave your own path and have a wonderful day. Thanks, Matt.